You're listening to the Citrus Church Podcast. Now, here's the message. So they're settling in. We're coming, uh, as you can see by the candles, to the, the end of our Advent journey. And I love this part of it because we've seen over the last couple of weeks, each of the candles as we lift them one by one slowly begin to dwindle down. Uh, and it reminds me both of our journey towards the excitement of Christmas, but uh, also reminds me that our life is a journey. In that way, it's a journey towards God and, and what God has in store for each one of us. So this morning, we're going to continue our sermon series called Joyful Noise. And uh, what we've done over the last couple of weeks is we've taken time to look at some of the songs, uh, the Christmas songs, that can help talk to us about our faith. Uh, we've done songs like It's the Most Wonderful Time of the Year, I'll Be Home for Christmas. And we've looked for songs that are not necessarily kind of labeled as Christian or as a hymn or as a carol. We tried to find standard Christmas songs that speak to the faith and how we can kind of link these two things together. And so this week, the theme that we are working on is peace. And we've had a very hard time finding a Christmas song that's not, quote, a church song about peace. We've kind of had this joke running back and forth between Jared and myself and some of the band and myself. I would send them a couple of ideas and and they'd reject them, and they'd send me a couple of ideas for songs, and then I would reject them. And over the last couple of weeks, as we've been planning towards today, we just couldn't find a song that we really felt spoke to this idea of peace. And I struggled with that, and we kind of got up to the moment of this week and realized, like, we don't have one. <laughs> we can't make one up. But what it made me realize was we all know what peace is and what it means, and I think we have an idea of what it looks like. But I wondered if maybe the reason we don't have a lot of songs about it is because that, more than love and hope and joy, is harder to find in the world today. You see, peace, we know what it looks like, but I think it's hard because, A, it's hard to broker peace between warring groups. Whether we're talking about warring nations, whether we're talking about relationships or, or family dynamics, it's hard to first broker peace, and B, it's hard to maintain long-term peace on a national, international, or personal level. And so I began to wonder, maybe that was the reason why we don't see as much peace as we'd like to, at least musically. But what I want to remind us this morning is that just because we don't see it doesn't mean it's not something that still matters and is important to God. And so this morning, I want to share with us a scripture beginning in uh, Luke chapter 2. This is the birth, uh, after the birth, and so uh, beginning in Luke chapter 2, verse 8, it says, Nearby shepherds were living in the fields, guarding their sheep at night. The Lord's angel stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were afraid. The angel said, Don't be afraid. Look, I bring good news to you, wonderful, joyous news for all people. Your Savior is born today in David's city. He is Christ the Lord. This is a sign for you. You will find a newborn baby wrapped snugly and laying in a manger. Suddenly a great assembly of the heavenly forces was with the angel praising God. They said, glory to God in heaven and on earth peace among those whom he favors. And I wanted to share that scripture because... What it reminds me is that, yes, we need peace. Yes, we have a hard time finding peace. But God's plan 
is that peace would be on earth. And I was reminded that that scripture is not just what God would like to see. The idea that God will bring peace is what God is and was and will continue to do. And so the more we seek peace, the more we have a hard time finding it, I've realized that peace is something that only God can do. But the question I have this morning for us is how and where and what does it look like? And I've had a hard time with that. I have a hard time with that each year when we look at this idea of peace. Uh, But in my reading, kind of unconnected with this, I came across uh, a set of poems uh, written by my favorite pastor, Eugene Peterson. Uh, And he wrote this set of poems around the time of Christmas back in 1989. And so I want to remind us that the same things struggling that they were struggling with in 1989 and today and 2,000 years ago and further. But this, this one titled The War, I thought, at least for me, really captured the struggle with peace. So it begins with a quote from Revelation that says, And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to bear a child, that he might devour her child. Now war arose in heaven. Here's the poem. This births a signal for war. Lovers fright, fight, friends fall out. Merry toasts from flagons of punch are swallowed in the maw of dragons. Will mother and baby survive this devil night? I've done my share of fighting in the traffic, kitchen quarrels, playground fisticuffs. Every cherub choir has its share of tufts. And then one day I learned the fight was cosmic. Truce. I lay down arms. My arms fill up with gifts, wild and tame, real and stuffed. It goes on a little further, but when I read that line, I had to read it several more times. And then one day I learned the fight was cosmic. Truce. I lay down my arms and my arms fill up. And I wondered as he wrote that particular poem, if he laid down his arms, so to speak, if he surrendered, if it was out of frustration, a realization that the fight and the lack of peace was was not just on an interpersonal or a national or an international level, but was cosmic. I wondered if he, if he gave up or maybe just decided that I'll accept what is and I can't change it or I'm just so frustrated by this realization. I'm not sure exactly what the feeling was in that moment. But what Peterson points out is that peace begins with God's whisper to the world, surrender, surrender. And surrender is one of those words that, that we love for the enemy, right? We love when the enemy, the person we're against, the one that we're at war with, we love when they say surrender. But surrenders are oftentimes branded as, as cowards, as losers, as those who are weak or some worse explicative. And I think that's why it's easy for me And for us to say, you ought to surrender, it's harder for me to say, I will surrender. I will lay down my arms, my instruments of fighting. And sometimes I wonder as I read passages and poems like this, when will we, I, learn that I can't punch my way to peace? 
Things like diplomacy and accords and agreements all aim for peace, but I believe that these are good and necessary, but all of these are ultimately pointing to the reality that true, meaningful, lasting peace, which we'll talk more about that today, can only be brought by God. By the Prince of Peace, the true peacemaker, Jesus Christ. And sometimes I think about this, and and many of you have probably thought about this too before, this, this idea of how Christ came as a baby. Like, we're used to this because we celebrate this every year, and it's cute. Last week we did our Christmas pageant. We had Joseph and Mary and this cute little baby, and they did a great job with it. But sometimes I think, you know, if Jesus showed up a little bit differently, less like a baby and more like the rock, like, wouldn't things, wouldn't that make more sense? Like, what if God, the the parent, God the Father sent the Son into the world, not as a baby, but as this, like, hulking, muscular like, like someone that we could put out in front and say, that's who's going before us. And if Jesus showed up with all the, the weapons and the armor of the day, spears and swords and shields, like what if that was the person out front? And what if Israel had that person as the Messiah? Then they could get peace, right? They would find peace because this Messiah would bring the total destruction and annihilation of their enemy, Rome. The one who oppressed them. The one who was keeping them as they saw it from fully living into who God wanted them to be. But I think you know like I know that the absence of conflict isn't necessarily peace. And that total destruction by one to another isn't necessarily peace. And so if we wonder to ourselves, where do we get these ideas that that the more we attack and the less we surrender, why is that idea of surrender so hard for us? Why do we think war-making will bring peace? And we're not alone in this thought. Because all of Israel was really living with this idea, not just in the time of Jesus, but really throughout their life and their history. Their hope was in a conquering Messiah. And it's not like they just kind of made this up. I want to take you to uh, Micah chapter 5, beginning in verse 1 through 6. And this is an interesting passage because part of it shows up in Matthew in the narratives of Jesus' birth, and it sounds really cute. The rest of it is not. This is one of the prophecies. It says, Now muster your troops, daughter troop. They have laid siege against us with a rod that will strike the cheek of the judge of Israel. As for you, Bethlehem of Epirath, though you are least significant of Judah's forces, one who is to be a ruler in Israel on my behalf will come out from you. His origin is from remote of days, from ancient of days. Therefore, he will give them until the time when she who's in labor gives birth. The rest of his kin will return to the people of Israel. He will stand as a shepherd, his flock in the strength of the Lord, and the majesty of his name the Lord his God, they will dwell secure because he will surely become great throughout the earth. He will become one of peace. So, so far you kind of catch where this is coming from. When Assyria invades our land and treads down our fortresses, here's where it gets a little tricky, then we will rise up against him, seven shepherds and eight human princes. They will shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword, the land of Nimrod with a drawn sword. He will rescue us, this is talking about Jesus, 
from Assyria when he invades our land and treads within our territory. And this is where we begin to get this idea of the conquering Messiah. It's because as it was then, there were these prophets who spoke about specific situations and wars that were happening in real time, in real places like Assyria. And we're taking some of the same scriptures and applying them also to the Messiah. So things get a little bit mixed up in here when we think the Messiah will come with a sword and a drawn sword. Right? So it's kind of like, no wonder they were looking for the rock to show up. You know, like, no wonder that was the image in their head. No wonder when the baby showed up in the manger, it was so confusing. And I think if we're honest, it's still a little confusing. If we're honest with ourselves, how does real and lasting peace actually happen? If we lay down our arms personally, nationally, internationally, we are going to lose, right? We'll be dominated and overrun. And and I don't disagree with any of this. But at the same time, doesn't it seem that in the centuries and millennia that nothing has really changed? Like no conquering empire has been able to find lasting peace as they conquered other empires. One rises and one falls, but the next one is conquered by force, and so on and so on, and still we're looking for peace. And now it's convenient, I think, to just think about this on like a national and an international level. But I like how Peterson in his poem really brings this down to the everyday thing, to the the spouses and the partners who are determined to win at any cost against each other. I admit, I like to win and be right. I'm not always right, but I want to be right. And I want to have the last word. And I don't know how many of you do this either. How many of you, like, play the scenario ahead of time, right? Or, or you play it back later and think, like, if I had said this, like, if I had told them that, I would have won. And what I was going to tell them was probably normally not something like, oh, man, God loves you, and I was wrong. It was like, here is how you are wrong, and I am right. Right? Making sure that as I merge onto that treacherous point from the turnpike onto the 429, that I don't get cut off. Right? Like, like that is a, a war that rages cosmically, those kind of merge in turn lanes. And man, when someone scoots up around me and cuts me off and didn't wait in line, holy vengeance, like bring it down right on top of them. And it's not just adults, it's children who are best friends in one moment and then like mortal enemies the next. Like, like, this is the story of my children and probably yours and friends and when we were friends. Like, you love your friends and then you fight with your friends, right? And it reminds me, it's so much easier to love my friends, it's so much harder to love my enemies. And so when we think about this idea of peace, I don't want it to just be some abstract construct. I want us to think about how do we see peace in our everyday lives? How do we see peace in our relationships? How do we find peace in our community? And so since I couldn't find uh, a good kind of non-church Christmas song that talked about peace, I came across one called Oh Holy Night. I am not going to sing it, uh, but it starts like this, just so you kind of know which one it is. It's Oh Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world and sin and error pining till he appeared 
and the soul felt its worth. And there's a little bit of history to this song that I think will help us. It was written originally in French in the year 1843 by someone whose name I'm going to butcher, which looks to me like Placide Capio. Now, John Sullivan Dwight was a minister and composer, and in the year 1855, took that French song and translated it into English, into the version that you and I know today. But I was on Facebook this week, and someone posted that for most of the life of this hymn, O Holy Night, verse 3 was banned. And of course, I believed it because Facebook said it, and so there's no need to... No, like, of course, like, I read that, and I decided to go research it because we don't believe what we see on Facebook, right? It's like, repeat after me. We don't believe what we see on Facebook. We research. So I was like, well, that's an interesting idea. I want to see if that's actually true. And it turned out that verse 3 was oftentimes banned. And here's why. This particular song was written 1843 in France, but translated into English in 1855. Now, what's happening at that point is that is before the Civil War has started in the United States before the Emancipation Proclamation. And I want to show you verse 3 just to kind of catch your memory up. Truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother, and in his name all oppression shall cease. I think you can see why this verse becomes so problematic in 1855 in the United States, right? This idea where slavery is the law of the land at the time. And for us to say, the slave is our brother, when at the same time, a slave is counted as three-fifths a person, if you remember kind of from history, and really, a slave was counted only as three-fifths a person so that southern states could gain more voters and have more kind of representation in different places. So that was just a way of kind of padding the population results. At this point, really, though, that three-thirds, three-fifths compromise was really not for equality and for rights, but just for population counts. And so at this time, equality and liberty were not for all. I want to show you a timeline of just kind of where things fall here. I found this online. I didn't make it. Uh, But it shows us that American slavery began in 1526. We're going to do a quick history lesson. Y'all, when I went to college, I was a history major. I had to reel myself back in on this one. So this is the the, the brief version. Um, In 1526, uh, the first slaves were brought over from, with a Spanish, um, with a Spanish expedition. So we go through 339 years And in that time there, uh, we come up to 1865, which is the 13th Amendment that abolishes slavery. And you see that, you notice that it goes from this kind of red period of American slavery to these 89 years of segregation. And what they were hoping to do with this graph, I believe, was show us that while it feels like a long time ago, this really was very recent history. We might put 2021 at the end of that green line. And so in 1954, Brown versus Board of Education ended racial segregation at schools. And this graphic bothered me. Does it bother anybody else? 
It bothered me because it was like this period was obviously red. Red is bad because of stoplights, right? Yellow means things are getting better, but they're not great. And then it's like in 1954, everything becomes green. And so I just want to remind you of a couple of things that happened in that green moment. Uh, Rosa Parks in 1955, the sit-ins of the 60s, Freedom Rides in 61, the Civil Rights Act of 64, Voting Rights Act of 65. And of course, we could fast forward to the end of that green line and mention names like George Floyd and Trayvon Martin. I took a look at some statistics because what this isn't showing, I think, what I think that this is trying to say is that we have reached a green area of peace. And I believe oftentimes in life and in society, what we do is we try and say that an absence of conflict equals peace. And we're trying to say that everyone lives at peace right now. I saw someone kind of redid this, and I apologize for the bad graphic. Uh, they didn't make it quite as, quite as nice, but I think this did better because it shows the same red, a pink, and then a yellow up to current. And sometimes we settle for a, a, a fake kind of peace that pretends like everything is okay, at least for some, but fails to recognize that God's peace was designed for all, so that all might experience the presence of God, the peace of God in their life. And we know in part that that won't come until the end of time. But I don't want us to pretend like everything is green when it's not for everyone. I did a little research because what this shows is that we live in a time now of mass incarceration, and many of you just kind of looking around know about the ideas of the, the, the school-to-prison pipeline. And a reminder that there's still a lot of racial disparity, one of them being uh, that black Americans today are incarcerated at a rate of five times more than others. And just to make that local here in Florida, if you are black, you are 4%, sorry, 4%, uh, black Americans are incarcerated at 4% in Florida, more than whites. It's not because one is different or better. It's simply because we still live in an unequal world. And what I wanted to show with this was, for the same reasons that hymn was problematic back then, are the reasons why we struggle with peace still today. This troublesome verse is still excluded in a lot of the popular things. I did kind of a quick jaunt through Spotify to find the eight most popular versions of O Holy Night. And I was surprised to find that four of them exclude verse three. Four of them included it. And I looked at the dates of when some of those were written. And they were written 50 or 60 or some years ago. At a time when maybe segregation was still popular and Perhaps the singer didn't feel like they could voice those lyrics, or others felt like they needed to remove them. But I think that that verse tells us so much, that truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love, and his gospel is peace. The good news of Jesus is peace. Chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother. I don't want us to settle for a peace that's good enough for some, but not available to all. As followers of Jesus, this is what God desires to see in the world, broken chains. So if and where we see chains where individuals are bound, where they don't have peace, not because they don't want it, but because 
They live in an unequal society. We, as followers of Jesus, ought to still sing this song even louder still. But I want to remind us that that peacemaking didn't make for an easy life for Jesus, and I don't think that it will for us too. As I said earlier, it's not that we don't want peace. I think that we truly do. Our issue is the way that we get to peace. Surrendering, looking to the lowly, hoping in a baby in a manger. If the choice for me is between peace by surrender, having to be wrong or wronged, or being right, if I'm honest, I just want to be right. You know? And that's what I'll usually choose. I'd like the last word. I imagine myself winning. I imagine myself coming in first. Even if that means someone else loses, that's okay. I'm just trying to tell you the things that I think in the back of my head by myself. I'm aware that a lot of the gospel for me is easy to embrace. You know, the first week we, we lit the candle of love and hope and joy. And embracing love and hope and joy feels warm and, and Christmassy and good. It's always the peace candle that really unsettles me. It unsettles me because I think we know what it looks like. We don't see it very often, and we bristle at God's way of finding peace, the idea of loving our enemy, the idea of surrender. But Advent is a time when we watch and wait with anticipation for the return of Christ, a time when Jesus will come and make all things right. And I came across a comment from a monk of the 12th century, Bernard of Clairvaux, who said, Christ comes to us through history in three ways. One, in Bethlehem at Christmas. Two, at the end of the age. And three, in the lives of believers every day. And this resonated with me because I, I can't change anything about the past. I can't honestly do a lot to change the future or to speed it up. But I can do number three. I can allow my life to be a place where Christ is welcome each day. I can look at my life and my interactions and find how can I be a peacemaker in this situation. I I like this idea because an angel of the Lord told Joseph in a dream that the child Mary would carry would be named Emmanuel, God with us in the present, today, right now. And so as children of God, we have accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior, our Lord and our Savior. And the good news this morning is that peace is already living in our hearts. The good news is that peace is already living in your heart and in my heart because of Christ. (laughs) Maybe we fight against it. Maybe we seek other ways. But when we fall on our knees, as the hymn says, when we surrender our way, perhaps when we give up our right to be right, then we begin to learn the Jesus way, a different way of going about life. It doesn't feel natural because nowhere else in the world tells us that that's the way to do it. But I want to remind us that whether we get it right or wrong, the grace of God is that peace lives in our hearts. For Jesus, his actions of nonviolence and radical love for others 
acceptance of the unacceptable led to his crucifixion at the end. And now, quite honestly, I don't think that that will be our fate if we live in this way, but I think that it should remind us that living as a peacemaker is not easy, and it challenges the status quo. That living our lives as a sign that points to the hope of what can be is tough. But I take strength from Jesus' words in John 14 at the end of his life, when he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I give to you not as the world gives. A reminder, you don't see this model in the world. We see it in Jesus. Don't be troubled or afraid. I want to ask you this morning, where do you need peace in your life? Where do you need peace in your life? You can think about any level that you want, whether national, international, personal, relationships, dynamics, whatever that is. Where in your mind do you need peace? I want to remind us that it begins with the peace of Christ in our heart. In these words from Philippians 4, don't be anxious about anything. Rather, bring up all of your requests to God in your prayers and petitions along with giving thanks. Then the peace of God peace of God, that exceeds all understanding, will keep your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ. That's the key. It's for us to recognize the places that we know there could be peace and we want it. Rather than fighting for it and kind of running in like a conqueror, to take a step back, to take a knee, to kneel before our Lord, to express these things to God and to begin to receive the peace of Christ in our hearts. It's not going to fix everything right away. It's not magic. Jesus doesn't work that way. But slowly, I believe, we'll begin to see a transformation in, in perhaps how we deal with others. And we remember that we are on a journey like this Advent candle towards a time when Christ returns to make all things and all people new. So this morning, I want to encourage us to first remember to experience that peace vertically from Jesus so then we can take that peace horizontally to all those that we meet. Thanks for listening. Make sure to visit our website, citruschurch.org. If you found refreshments in this message, share it with a friend. And hey, God loves you.